This is the Parents at Work Employer podcast episode. Thanks for joining me. I'm Emma Walsh. This week, I'm joined by Verve Super CEO and co-founder Christina Hobbs, discussing the retirement gap and what employers can do to address it. Verve Super started just under 12 months ago as Australia's first dedicated superannuation fund for women. No stranger to wanting to make a positive difference to others. Prior to starting Verve, Christina enjoyed 10 years working for the United Nations, advising humanitarian organisations, governments and the private sector on how to connect the poorest and most vulnerable people in the world to the financial services system, often to provide life-saving assistance and livelihood support. Learn how your organisation can start closing the retirement gap for women. So at the moment, women in Australia are retiring with around 47% less savings than men. And I think it's the elephant in the room that never quite gets addressed. We hear so much about the pay gap, but we hear a lot less about how that does translate in later years. Well, hello and welcome, Christina. Thanks for your time today. Now, you founded one of the first women-focused superannuation funds in Australia just recently. You're, you're advocating for building the financial power of women. And one of the central issues you're representing, as I understand it, is this need to address the retirement gap that really plagues many women, particularly those that have taken a break from the workforce. So can you start by explaining the retirement gap and what its impact is on gender equality and its connection to the pay gap. You know, what, what's the issue and really what should employers really be doing to lessen the impact? They're the kind of things that I was keen to really dig deep under with you today and, and see if you can enlighten us. Great. Well, firstly, thanks for having me on today. I think this is such an important um important topic and it's great to be able to talk to you and your listeners about it. So um, thanks for really taking an interest in it. Um, We founded Verve as three co-founders who had all worked um, previously in not-for-profit roles and spent much of our careers um, working in positions where we were trying to build um, the economic power of women. And what we really saw over that time was that there was this huge need to address what we call the retirement savings gap. So this is the gap um, in wealth that between the amount that men retire with and women retire with. And as you pointed out, and I think is really important, is that underlying that is all of these sort of structural issues, um, particularly pay inequality, which really um, later in life trends translates into this gap. So at the moment, women in Australia are retiring with around 47% less savings than men. And there's actual research that our um, our super fund Verve has undertaken, um, which has shown that over 80% of women are retiring either dependent on the old age pension or on their partner in retirement. Um, And similarly, what we see is that our actual retirement system, which is very much focused on superannuation, actually provides the most benefit to men. So each year the government spends over $30 billion um, in in tax concessions through the superannuation system and the vast majority of that, so over three quarters, actually goes towards men. So what we're seeing is a retirement saving system um, that really is really difficult for women, obviously, because the super system is so linked um, to um, salaries and, and to income. Um, And so what we look at is 
how can we support women through this and and what are the factors that are really leading to this gap and so the pay gap is obviously one um, as is the amount of time that women take out of their their workforce um, and, and how they can recover from that or, or how they fail to recover from that um, through to retirement so obviously we look at um, how to support women as individuals. So the fund provides financial coaching for women. Um, we also look at the advocacy that we can do um, with government to try to change this retirement saving system. But as you pointed out, there's a lot that employers can do as well to be best practice in this. So some of the areas that we look at with employers, for instance, is considering paying women superannuation while they're on uh, parental leave or paying and any of their employers actually while they're on parental leave. Um, also addressing the pay gap that might exist within their organisation is a really important one. So undertaking um, pay equality um, research within their organisation and then acting upon that research to, to even out the, the gaps as well. So there are a couple of things that we um, advocate for the employers of our, of our, fund, men, of our fund members. Okay, so let's just pick up on that superannuation um, uh, piece that you've just talked about around parental leave. There are a few organisations that certainly have come out saying, yes, we, we will make sure that we make up that super gap. Um, but it's not necessarily explained very easily for employers around how. So what are the kind of things that employers could be doing to um, make up that super gap during someone being on parental leave? Mm. So we advocate with the employers of our members that as a minimum, um, we ask them to continue paying superannuation for the period that that person is um, is on paid leave. Um, mm -hmm. And then additionally, depending on the employer, they may wish to pay that for the whole period. So if a woman or a man is away for, let's say, 12 months on unpaid leave, um, you know, we would advocate in a best case scenario that an employer would continue to pay that. That, that contribution for them. So, so in a minimum standard to continue to pay it um, while they're on paid leave and then preferably to pay it for the entire period um, of the un, unpaid leave. Okay. And the second point you made is obviously looking at the pay gap as it exists within an organisation, being able to, you know, create the, um, well, I, not so much create but really to look at where the anomalies exist and obviously doing what they can to address those. What progress are you seeing employers make around that? Because, yes, that's been a big focus of WGEA um, to really um, get organisations to be reporting on their pay gap. But what progress have you seen made? What are the kind of conversations that you're having with employers about this? How are they responding to the mm. need to really address this issue? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting one because we hear so much about the pay gap, but we hear a lot less about how that does translate in later years. So, mm. for instance, even right now in Australia, um, the average female graduate is paid upon graduation $5,000 less um, than her male peer. And so that's $5,000 a year. But when you think about um, the super that's on top of that. So, so that would be maybe, um, you know, $450 to $500 super less. Um, mm -hmm. But what happens with the impact of compound interest is that by the time um, the gap or the difference in that initial $500 can later down the track, by the time that person goes to retire, just the difference from that first year can lead to thousands and thousands of dollars later on in life. 
Um, and so even these really small differences at the beginning of one's career can translate enormously um, through to the differences and the gap in retirement savings. And so what, as you said, I think we've, we've seen an enormous amount of awareness around the gap. Um, and of course, larger companies um, are required to report on this. Um, but I think the issue that we're seeing amongst larger companies is that women often don't have access to this reporting. So we might see ASX-listed companies, for instance, providing this um, information to the government, but then that information is aggregated at an industry level before mm. anyone is able to see it. And so it's very difficult for a woman to actually use the information that's in that report to herself advocate for her salary or to know where she sits next to her peers. And so what we want to start doing is advocating for the companies that we invest in as shareholders um, to request those companies to release those payer quality reports. Um, and then it's looking at smaller companies and how they can do their own payer quality reporting on how they can do their own benchmarking. Um, so, for instance, I was, I was on the board until recently of a company which only had 40 employees. So, um, obviously, with that, there's a great difference in the skill sets and the levels and how you could compare um, people in different roles and functions. Um, but we were still able to undertake payer quality, a payer quality analysis to determine that there was a gap and then to look at how that gap could be resolved. Um, and so this is a really critical um, piece of the puzzle because until this is resolved, um, we're going to see, we're going to continue to see this really wide gap um, in retirement. I think the other thing that's really interesting about the pay gap that, that isn't talked about a lot is that we've sort of seen um, in recent years, that that gap does appear to be coming down. So um, the most recent findings sort of had dropped again down to, depending on how you look at it, um, around 14%. Um, but when we actually dig into that data, um, what we see is a lot of that, um, a lot of the closing of the gap in recent years um, hasn't been so much a result of women in lower paid industries, so cleaners and um, and cooks um, and childcare mm -hmm. workers um, um, being lifted up so much as it's been industries like mining, um, which are heavily dominated by men um, and have much higher paid um, functions, um, have sort of been declining. And so looking at what their real impact for women is, um, we're really concerned that that, that gap um, is really not closing, let alone at a fast enough pace. Mm. So what kind of change, let's say minimum standard, would you like to start advocating for that all organisations could start to consider? I mean, what's your aspirational vision, if you like, for Australia and the way mm. it approaches dealing with this retirement gap? Mm. So I think, um, so starting at sort of the root cause of the pay gap, I think the first thing that every organisation can do regardless of size is to provide some form of transparency around um, how um, men are being remunerated versus how women are being remunerated within an organisation. Um, and I feel that regardless of the policies or the structures organisations have in place to deal with this, if there is some form of transparency, um, employees themselves will demand it and will come up with solutions and, and can come up with solutions um, with their employers to address to address um, the gap within their organisation. Mm -hmm. um, I think, and these are all, you know, and, and then we move on to some of the more complex issues to solve. And 
um, what we see very clearly is that um, up until the point that women take time out of the workforce to care for children, they're tracking a little bit, you know, that their, their super is a little bit lower than the men's or a nominal amount lower than men's, um, but we're not seeing this huge, huge gap developing. And it's really at the point that women have children that we start to see a gap that mm. never recovers. So, so mm. um, many women or the majority of women will reach the peak of their pay in their late 30s or 40s, whereas men will reach that in their 50s and 60s. So we really see that that time out of the workforce um, obviously impacts a woman's ability to earn, um, but then also to to save or to ever catch up in terms of her retirement savings. So I think until um, we look at um, how we can um, create more equality within child caring arrangements um, and equalising that, this will be a really difficult gap to solve. Um, mm-hmm. But having said that, there's 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 ways that this can also be managed within a partnership. So we encourage our members um, not just to work with their employers to try to maintain their super payments while they are on unpaid leave, but also to discuss within a couple or within a relationship um, how they want to manage this. So it is mm-hmm. possible for one spouse to contribute superannuation to another spouse. And so we discuss with our members um, and encourage them to have those discussions at home um, to decide what's fair within within a particular relationship. So potentially it's that the spouse that still works um, will co-contribute into their um, partner's superannuation so that, um, you know, that the retirement savings remains, remains even. Um, and I think that there is a role here for employers um, to consider how they can include some form of financial coaching or financial um, advisory um, as a benefit to staff. So we also work with employers um, who are interested. We'll go into workplaces and undertake these coaching sessions for free um, with women and also with male employees. Um, And I think the more that employers can offer in terms of supporting people um, through these career transitions, um, this can also really help um, down the track. Oh, most definitely. I mean, I think, I mean, that is the reality, isn't it? And I think it's the elephant in the room that never quite gets addressed. You know, how do we help um, particularly women who are taking the time off because let's face it, it's still the majority of women that take time out of the workplace for significant periods when they have children. How do we help them? Um, on-ramp, back into work, um, making sure that they are um, not re-entering at, you know, frankly, rates of pay that are never going to allow them to, you know, catch up, as you say, because there's so many people um, potentially that obviously the longer you're out, if you, for example, are out for a period of time, um, you don't go back to your employer, you started a new employer. Often I see so many women who will even ask for less than what they were earning three, four, five years ago um, because, you know, they no longer feel that they're, um, you know, capable, let's say, of earning that amount because they've had all this time out. And so the employers are, you know, in some cases really profiteering from these women's skills and experience um, where they're entering back in, representing themselves at a much lower rate. And, of course, again, this flow-on effect um, that occurs. So um, that, that obviously the gap, as you say, never never closes. So, you know, really um, taking responsibility, I guess, as an employer to really look at how fairly are we actually um, 
supporting in particular women who've taken the leave um, to make sure that gap, I guess, uh, isn't ignored, that we do actually realise and recognise that if they've had 12 months or more off, it's very likely they're now financially behind their male peers that may not have taken the leave in their organisation and and how do we address that? Because, you know, it's it's not only an economic issue, it's a bit of a moral dilemma, isn't it, for mm-hmm. organisations? You know, there are a lot of people that would argue, well, you know, uh, that woman decided to take a break and have a family, mm-hmm. that's the consequences. Why should an employer be responsible for that? So, you know, how do there's all sorts of economic and moral, I think, dilemmas tied up in this around how employers respond to it. Um, mm. You know, how do you... How are you tackling, I guess, some of those challenges and, and perhaps stereotypes that you come come up against when um, counselling organisations or individuals on some of these things? I mean, I think what, what sort of really overwhelms me in the period that Verve has been around, because we were the first super fund um, that was founded specifically for women. So there's other super funds out there that have a large um, number of women um, members, but because we were designed specifically for women, we were able to really focus all of our services and our coaching on women. And therefore, we've done a really, um, you know, a, a lot of research to understand what it is um, to provide good service to women and what the gaps are. And I think that's what was really um, overwhelmingly um, came through to us when we were undertaking this research is that regardless of how wealthy you are regardless of um, what level of leadership um, you're in within an organization regardless of um, your education level there was a huge lack of knowledge around um, financial management um, but Mm. particularly around longer-term investment and preparing for the future and there's actually evidence that backs this up that when it comes to household day-to-day money management um, women are a lot more comfortable than men and women actually um, tend to budget better and, and manage day-to-day finances better than men um, and actually have more confidence in doing so. Um, but when it comes to this long-term planning, um, not only are women in a situation where they're at huge economic disadvantage, um, but, but there's also a less confidence amongst women in, in terms of how they prepare and how they make these long-term investment decisions. So it's almost a double whammy. And then what we saw um, pre-Banking Royal Commission, which was really a real reason why the as a super fund, why we decided to launch this fund, was that so not only do you have this sort of structural um, disadvantage and then you have this um, you know situation where women have less knowledge and less confidence and are less likely to talk to other women about long-term investment, But then there's also this huge gap where women um, have a lot less trust in the financial services sector and actually don't trust the people um, that are in the professions to provide the advice. And so you sort of have this situation where there's a lot of women, um, as I said, regardless of education level or how great Mm. their careers might be, who simply don't know how to manage um, through this situation and to plan. And so a lot of what we do is really really basic I guess, education and and behavioural changes and just supporting women to understand um, how the system works, um, how they can leverage the most out of the system. Um, And then it's also, and you know, what they can or or could request from their employers or from their partners. And then similarly, it's working with organisations to say, okay, well, what, what could you do to support? And obviously, the burden can't 
uh, rest on organisations alone because a lot of these are more structural policy issues. Um, but what is you as an organisation can, can do um, to support the transition of, of your um, staff members who are going on to leave and whose careers are going to start to go up and down now and will stop being this linear trajectory? And, you know, how could you um, potentially bring in outside um, organisations or provide support around financial management, mm. um, provide support around how to um, manage these career transitions? Um, and, of course, this isn't the core mandate of an organisation, but I think when we look at how do you be a great a great partner for women and how do you be a great organisation for women? I think these are some of the services and support um, that organisations should be considering. Christina Hobbs, thank you very much for being part of this interview today. I found it incredibly informative and I think very inspiring, um, the work you're doing. I would really encourage employers to contact you, particularly given those free sessions you're able to give women in their organisations around their own um, retirement and, and superannuation in general. Um, thank you very much for being part of this really important conversation. I wish you every success with Verb Super. Great. Thank you so much for having me on the show.